that fever is a distinguishing uh, factor when we're talking about viral or bacterial illnesses, but if we're talking about things like itching, no fever, the runny nose, the stuffy nose, that patting of the nose, that allergic salute, that distinguishes allergies from viral. Welcome to Kidding Around. I'm your host, Dr. Candace. I'm a pediatrician, wife, and mom, joined by pediatric experts to discuss your kid health concerns. Let's jump right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kidding Around. I'm Dr. Candace, and thank you so much for listening. Today, we are going to be talking about a condition called allergic rhinitis and other environmental allergies. And you might think, you know, here we are in November and you might think, why is she talking about that now? Isn't that a spring thing when all the flowers are blooming and the grass is growing? But, you know, some people do suffer from allergies year round. Some people suffer more when we're all indoors at home. And so this condition, allergic rhinitis and environmental allergies can play a part in our lives year round. And so that's why we're kind of picking this topic today because it's something that we need to be aware of all the time and what we can do to make it better, to help ourselves if we're suffering with this condition. And I have an expert today that's gonna tease all of that out. Dr. Lakia Wright, she is a board certified allergist and immunologist. She comes highly trained and expert in her field. She trained at Harvard Medical School, Brigham and Women's Hospital, did her research at Boston's Children, and she is currently an associate physician at Brigham's and Women's Hospital. And she has a public health, a master's in public health as well from Harvard School of Public Health. So if anyone you would be listening to on this topic, it is Dr. Wright. So listen up, take notes. Hopefully I will answer all the questions you might have. And at the end, maybe she can give us how to reach her in case you have any more or need some advice or need some resources. So thank you so much, Dr. Wright, for coming to Kid Around with me today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Candice. So we're going to get started and talk about allergic rhinitis or environmental allergies. How do we define that condition? And the reason I like to start here is because from my grandmother to my mother to all sorts of patients that I hear, usually older patients, I'm always hearing my sinuses are acting up. And then automatically when the sinus word comes up, it's I need some antibiotics. And then people say, you know, I'm always having this problem with my sinuses, you know, especially when I get wet or I go out in the cold or if I left the fan on last night, (laughs) I hear all these things. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but it's always equated to this. And then I end up telling them you have allergic rhinitis. So can you break down the definition and then kind of dispel those myths that we have there? Yes, that's, I'm very happy that you asked that question because it, I like to think of it as it all starting with the nose. So you inhale allergens. And as you said, you know, even though it's winter time, you can still inhale allergens. And, and in particular, we're talking about indoor allergens. So we have dust mites, we have indoor moles, we have pet dander. So cat, dog, 
or even things like gerbils <laughs> or hamsters uh, or even your favorite like a pet rabbit all these indoor exposures uh, can be allergens so we have to watch out for those signs and symptoms so when we talk about allergic rhinitis we're really talking about inflammation in the nose that's caused by allergens. So you can think about it as inhaling an allergen and then your nose sort of goes a little uh, haywire because your body is mounting a response. Those allergy cells, which are also known as mast cells, are firing off and they release things like histamine and cause some swelling. Now the nose, those allergens get inside and they can cause that inflammation, mucus can develop. And then if that inflammation and mucus is in there, then it can back things up from draining. And that's how you get the sinus pain and pressure, or you can get sinus pain and pressure. So think of the nose as, you know, sort of a point of uh, entry. That's correct. That's correct. So may, may or may not be the sinuses. It all comes in through the nose and they are allergens or things in the environment that you are sensitive to that sets off this chain reaction. And like you said, mucus, swelling, stuffiness, and we're going to get into that. Let's go right into that. What are some of the symptoms that let you know that you might have allergic rhinitis? Yeah, so things like a stuffy nose, a runny nose, you know, not being able to breathe through your nose, doing a lot of mouth breathing, those um, may be signs that you have an, an allergy, uh, allergic rhinitis triggering, uh, being triggered from your allergies. And then also things like sneezing and, you know, a lot of nasal itching or your nose itching a lot, those could all be signs of allergies. All right. Do you typically have fever or feel yucky with allergic rhinitis? So typically you would not have a fever, but you did mention sinuses. So if things get backed up, uh, meaning that you have, you know, environmental allergies, they get into your nose, everything's sort of blocked. And, and you are also, you can also inhale pathogens or bacteria or viruses and they can wreak a lot of havoc too and cause inflammation and and two of these things could be going on at once or it could just be viral or bacterial and that would cause a fever but allergies alone would not typically cause a fever it wouldn't cause a fever Okay, so that ties us right into how do we tell the difference? It's winter, we expect, you know, viruses start to bump up and circulate, so we have colds or common colds, and then we have COVID now, (laughs) and then we have the flu, which is a virus, all of them are viruses, but, you know, COVID is the hot topic, rightfully so. We are concerned about flu because we're in flu season. And then we have all those other viral pathogens, as you mentioned. So those symptoms can overlap with allergy symptoms too. So how can parents best tell those apart, which can also then tell them how they might can help their child or treat their child? Yes. So you want to think about it Fever is very distinguishing factor because, like I said, allergies alone would not cause that. And so I always say get that thermometer ready to take the temperature. If there's any fever there, it's best to, you know, call your pediatrician um, because this is a, you know, heightened time that we're in the pandemic. In fact, 
the virus could be SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID, or it could be another common virus like rhinovirus, the common cold, or it could even be something like influenza. And we want to stay on top of these symptoms. We want to keep our healthcare providers updated as to what's going on. And, you know, um, some parents that I talk to, they say, well, I'm not, I don't want to come into the office. Well, a lot of providers are still offering telehealth. You know, I have a two-year-old and I did, I had to do a telehealth visit uh, for her because I just wasn't quite ready to take her into the office. And I think um, many parents are, are like myself that, you know, when, when that fever comes on and you have these symptoms, the runny nose, the stuffy nose, you have to investigate it further. Now, if there's no fever, there's the nasal itching there's we also call it like a salute you might see your child sort of tapping their hand against their nose and that could be a sign that there's itching because kids don't always have the language to say my nose is itching but there may be signs if you see them rubbing their nose a lot if you see them sort of you know, a little congestion in, in mouth breathing, then that could also be a sign. But that fever is a distinguishing uh, factor when we're talking about viral or bacterial illnesses. But if we're talking about things like itching, no fever, the runny nose, the stuffy nose, that patting of the nose, that allergic salute, um, that uh, distinguishes allergies from viral. Yes, absolutely. And another thing I like to add is that you know, when you have a viral infection, you sometimes can have the body aches, you can feel yucky, you may not want to eat, you know, maybe some diarrhea or upset stomach or vomiting, all of those things, that's not allergies, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, Any rashes on the body, that's not allergies. And so if any of that's going on, definitely, including that fever, you should be calling your doctor, especially in these times. And as I've been telling everyone, you don't know if it's COVID or flu or what other type of virus, so you need to get tested. And the importance of that may not so be so much for you to know what you have because the treatment is kind of the same if you're doing well but it's for you to take yourself out of the circulation of the community and stay home right and protect other family members and others in the community just throwing that little COVID plug in there (laughs) yes it's so important to look out for those systemic you know symptoms because allergies alone wouldn't cause that That's right. So let's talk about some prevention strategies. You know, if you know you have a history of allergic rhinitis, a lot of people may not know that I can make this better for myself, even if I'm not taking medications. I may can do some environmental things to prevent me from having these flares and make it better. So let's talk about some of those tips. Yes. So you know, the environment is so important. So I talked about inhaling um, your allergens through your nose. And, you know, people automatically think about those over-the-counter medications and they, you know, they may have a role. But the the uh, important thing also to recognize is the environment. And, and most people have to have like, this twofold strategy where they're, you know, trying to take some medications, they may need to take it regularly, or maybe even only certain times of the year, but you also have to try to minimize your exposure, so that you have less inflammation. So for example, when we talk about common environment to allergens, we're talking about the dust mite, the mole, the the cat, the dog, even things like mouse and and cockroach. Uh, These 
allergens, we want to make sure we can first identify what we're allergic to. And there's testing available. There's uh, blood testing, specific IgE blood testing, there's skin testing. So you want to know what you're allergic to. And then you can have a specific plan on what you need to avoid. So when we're talking about dust mites, there are things, very simple things like dust mite proof uh, covers for your bedding. So we're talking about covering the pillows, covering the mattress, because we don't really think about the mattress all that often <laughs> as a, a source of allergens or, you know, triggering our symptoms. But it can harbor dust mites and you should typically change your mattress about every seven years um, because it that load and that breakdown of the the material can allow those dust mites to thrive so you you cover it with a dust mite proof covering for the mattress the pillows you also want to wash your sheets in hot water weekly because that kills the dust mites and so there are other things uh, like, you know, your carpet, you want to vacuum that regularly. Your blinds, you want to dust those blinds, but you also want to wear a mask. You can, you know, sort of put that dust into the air and then that can uh, trigger uh, symptoms as well. But all these areas in which the dust can collect, you want to, you know, take care of so you can minimize your exposure. When we're talking about molds, we're talking about leaks, you know, the dampness that can uh, allow mold to thrive. So any leaks you want to get a, um, repaired. Some people live or spend a lot of time in their basements, which can have a lot of moisture. So you want to have a dehumidifier and, and set that around uh, 55 so that you can uh, decrease the amount of uh, moisture in the, the or humidity in the air. And so other things like pets, you know, my patients almost never think they're allergic to their pet or they don't, they don't want to believe that they're allergic to their pet. And there are strategies around that. You don't necessarily have to rehome your pet. It really, you have to talk to your healthcare provider. We have to, you know, work through those uh, symptoms. So you can try to create a safe, haven a safe sleeping haven in your bedroom because again we spend about eight to ten hours in the bedroom and with all that allergen exposure if you're snuggled up to your dog that can be a lot of exposure so get that pet out of the bedroom there are things like HEPA filters um, which purify the air or help zap that allergen out of the air and so also washing your pets you know with dogs you can wash them about twice a week and that really helps to decrease that dander it's almost like dandruff for a dog that what's is what gets dispersed into the air especially when you're snuggling with your dog and you inhale that and get the inflammation so those are some tips about how to control those indoor allergens but the first thing really is to know what you're allergic to Oh, those were great tips. So is there such thing as a hypoallergenic dog? People always say that. <laughs> if you're allergic, he's hypoallergenic. Yeah, no, there, there's <laughs> not. So the some dogs shed less than others, but it's really that dander. So it's it's like dogs are shedding their dead skin. 
And then also they carry, uh, so, so that skin has protein in it. And then when you have these allergens, it, the, these are proteins that your body are recognizing as foreign and your body mounts a response and that's how you get all the inflammation. So no matter what breed it is, even if it's branded as hypoallergenic, because it's a dog, it's going to still make that protein, which you can find in the urine and saliva, as well as the dander. And so that's what you're reacting to. And so there's no uh, strong evidence to suggest that there are hypoallergenic uh, dogs. Now, I will say that there are components to, there are different proteins found within uh, dogs that people can react to. And that's known as sort of like pet components. You'll see studies about them where some people are only monosensitized or sensitized to one protein. And then that protein may be found, um, for example, CANF5 is found in male dogs. So then those uh, patients may tolerate uh, female dogs or neutered dogs. And so I get a lot of questions. Well, I don't react to this dog, but I react to that dog. And so we're now learning based on studies that there are different proteins and you may be reacting to one or a combination of both. So those are things that you want to give your, your doctor a really detailed uh, history. And then they order, depending on what the history is, they may order testing to do a little bit more digging to see, you know, what in fact you're allergic to. Wow. I did not know that. That's very interesting. Good to know. Glad I asked that. <laughs> so, but I hear that all the time. So I didn't think there was a hypoallergenic dog, but I just go, okay. Ha, ha, ha. It's, a, it's a very popular question. So I'm very happy you asked about that. Yes. So you talked a little bit about certain this is prevention, but also it helps with management. So let's go into management, I would say, with, with medications and other therapies that we use to help people get those symptoms under control. Yes. Yeah, so when we're talking about the nose and allergic rhinitis, actually the first step or the first line therapy would be a nasal steroid because you have the inflammation and we have things called nasal turbinates that filter out the air in our nose. And so those can get very enlarged and sometimes it makes it difficult to breathe through your nose. So a topical steroid, which is the nasal, you know, it's a it's the nasal steroid, um, which is applied topically into the nose, can help decrease some of that inflammation so that it's easier to breathe. Now, children are not big fans of, <laughs> of uh, you know, go figure, of, uh, you know, nasal uh, sprays. So a lot of, I often recommend, well, let's see how they do with, you know, can they tolerate a nasal spray? Then it's something that's really nice because it's nice and targeted therapy. You're not going to get all this absorption throughout your body because a lot of parents say, I don't want my child taking a steroid. But again, this is targeted therapy going into the nose and not throughout the body. Now, that's first line therapy, but not doesn't always work for everyone. So it's good to talk to your doctor. The other thing that works well is as an add-on therapy or as first line, if you can't tolerate the nasal sprays, are oral uh, antihistamines. So you think about things like, you know, loratadine, uh, commonly known as Claritin, uh, uh, Cetirizine, commonly known as uh, Zyrtec. And, and uh, you also think of Allegra. 
fexofenadine. These are long-acting antihistamines. And remember I said, when you inhale the allergen, your allergy cells go a little haywire, start releasing histamine. So you want an antihistamine on board so that you can decrease some of that inflammation that's caused as a result of histamine. Now, we didn't really talk about the eyes. Um, you know, associated with allergic rhinitis or that runny nose, stuffy nose can also be watery, itchy eyes. There are, you know, eye drops, uh, sort of allergy eye drops uh, that you can take and they sort of help your, you have allergy cells sort of everywhere and they help your allergy cells to sort of calm down. Now, I will say that the, the allergy cells you have in your nose are the same ones that you have in your eyes. So sometimes using a nose spray can actually help your eyes go figure. But some people also need to take eye drops as needed. And so those are um, sort of the main uh, therapies. Now, there is, and, and those are available over the counter, there are some other therapies. So, for example, you might think of... Um, or you might have heard of allergy shots. Some patients would say, I'm on allergy shots. And the thought behind that is you get tested, whether it's skin or blood testing for your specific IG, you have to know what you're allergic to. And then based on that, your allergist might prescribe shots. And so shots are really taking what you're allergic to, giving it to you in small doses so that your allergy cells can be retrained to not fire off as much. And you might say, well, why, why would someone get allergy shots? There are many reasons. So some people don't like to take medications. So this is a way to try to retrain the body. Now, I didn't talk about this much, but there's also the allergic march. So or the, the atopic march, we often refer to it as. So, so uh, you know, babies start off getting eczema, and then maybe they may develop food allergies or they're higher risk for developing uh, food allergies. And then as a result of that, it, it can go a step further and you can get those the uh, symptoms like allergic rhinitis. And then a step further, you know, you may even have asthma. Now, that's the classing march. It, it, things can happen a little differently with uh, some patients. But allergy shots can try to, they can attempt to retrain your immune system so that we can stop the march at the allergic rhinitis to try to prevent it from going uh, to asthma. Or if you're, if you can get your asthma under control too, those shots can, can help, you know, try to prevent uh, any flares or calm down that allergic um, asthma as well. So there are many reasons why people get shots. Now, I will say that with shots, there you're getting some, you're taking something you're allergic to, so there's a risk of an allergic reaction. So shots are highly effective, meaning that about 70% of patients have a, a positive response, some improvement, but the risk is that you can have allergic reactions. So you should only get it from an allergist, and you have to typically stay in the office for 30 minutes after your shot to monitor for an allergic reaction. All right. That's all wonderful. I'm thinking of so many clinical things and, you know, <laughs> 
learned from this podcast. And these are all, you covered so many scenarios that families encounter. So I think that was very helpful. Now, something that I like to use, especially in younger kids, it's probably because as a pediatrician, babies are born and they have some congestion. They may reflux and have some congestion. So very early on, I recommend nasal saline and suction bulb. And so I often find for my kids, myself, and I recommend it for my patients that sometimes if their allergies aren't so bad and it's just kind of hit or miss, that they try the nasal saline first and see if that helps them. What do you think about that as a management strategy? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for bringing that up because I, I totally forgot to mention that. I am a big fan of, you know, a nasal saline or um, in, in older kids, you could even use uh, the neti pot. And the thing is that, you know, or the, or the straight bottle, just to try to rinse out those allergens. So as I mentioned, you know, we want to really get to the sort of, you know, like the root cause or the point of entry, if we can try to take care of that, that would be great, because the nasal Saline is just some, you know, salt water. And so it helps to rinse out those allergens. So some of my patients who don't want to use sort of medications and they want to say, okay, well, what's more natural that I can do? Let's try the nasal saline to try to rinse out some of those allergens. And that's why it's also so important to talk to your doctor because, you know, you can have nasal congestion um, and a runny nose for a variety of reasons. We, we mentioned viral, even going out into the cold can make your nose runny. Scents can trigger some symptoms as well. So it's so important to talk to your doctor because depending on what we think is a true reason why you're having those symptoms, then we can tailor the therapy appropriately. Absolutely. So let's talk about, and you've mentioned some of this, when, you know, you may be seeing your pediatrician for these symptoms that we've talked about, when is a good time so parents can advocate for themselves to see an allergist in the setting of um, allergic rhinitis? Um, also, when is a good time for testing? And how, how, what is your take on allergy testing in the pediatric office versus just seeing the allergist and letting them take care of the whole piece? Um, so you mentioned all of these things, seeing an allergist getting tested and immunotherapy allergy shots. But I just want parents to be aware a little bit of the indications for those things and when you need to move to a more specialized in, individual to take care of your child. Yes, that's a that's an excellent question. So of course, it always starts with talking to the pediatrician and uh, your pediatrician may recommend, you know, taking a good history is so important. So I tell my patients to, you know, sort of document when you think these symptoms are going on, or are they going on sort of daily and uh, your child is becoming a little miserable. They they wake up and have those dark circles around their eyes. Their nose, they're constantly sort of, you know, tugging at the nose and they look uncomfortable. And, and actually with allergies, it takes a lot of energy out of you to for your allergy cells to be firing off. So some kids can even get fatigued with their allergies. So you want to look for all those symptoms to, to be able to tell your uh, pediatrician. And sometimes you know, the pediatrician uh, will say, let's try a trial of the medications to see, you know, do you respond well to the medications? Um, can we decrease 
uh, the symptoms. And and if there's something unclear there, there's there's a lot of symptoms still we're not quite sure. Perhaps the child could be allergic to multiple things. I think that it's really important to get the testing. Now, some patients will say, okay, well, should I just go see an allergist or should I stay with my primary care? So when you're uh, dealing with primary care, you know, there is allergy blood testing. So some uh, patients can request or some primary care will, depending on the clinical history, order it. And it's really easy to interpret uh, the high numbers mean positive. And then there's um, when it's low or, or uh, you know, or negative, then then it's unlikely that you're allergic to it. And there are, are, then that way you can start to tailor the therapy to say, okay, that's, we're going to specifically avoid that dog or get it out of the bedroom or don't go to your friend's house with the dog is so that we can tailor the treatment to that patient. But then I would say, if the symptoms are persisting, you know what you're actually allergic to, you know what your child's allergic to, you try the medications, then I think the next step would be to go to see an allergist because they can further discuss the treatment like, you know, allergy shots to see if that would um, would help. And then, and perhaps, you know, the allergists, uh, if they think that it's, it's mainly allergies or or it could also be two things going on at once. Sometimes I do have to refer children to ear, nose, and throat because I think allergies may be playing a role, but something that's a little undiagnosed, um, in, in my opinion, and actually the literature would suggest sleep disordered breathing from those adenoids being really large. So, so you could snore because of your, you know, allergies because the, the nose is inflamed. But then also when those adenoids get large and, and, and your child might be snoring or even stopping sleep, um, I mean, stopping breathing when they're sleeping, that, you know, we need to take care of that with ear, nose and throat. So I think when it's not straightforward and when you've tried over the counter things, you've identified the allergens, try to you know, to take care of that environment, but you're not just, you're not, your child isn't getting better, then you have to go see the specialist. That makes so much sense. What is your opinion on general outpatient clinics doing allergy uh, shots? So I, I think that it's, it's best to, you know, um, go see a board certified uh, allergist because there can be some, uh, or there are nuances to getting shots with, you know, the dosing. And, and like I mentioned, there's a risk of an allergic reaction. There's a risk of anaphylaxis and, you know, being an allergist and, and having done a three years of fellowship to do training to give the allergy shots, I've seen many different scenarios. I've worked with uh, nurses to come up with the protocols and tailor the protocols because there are very there are nuances to it. So I think it's best to see a board certified uh, allergist to get the allergy shots because uh, you know they were they were trained to do this. Right. Absolutely. I would agree. <laughs> and so finally, that that was all great information. If parents want to. Find, get more information, uh, find some resources that they could look to. Can you provide us with, and also how to reach you? Yes. So there is an educational website, allergyinsider.com, and has a very good resource for educational materials regarding your, your allergies. And then also, I like to do a lot of educational posts about uh, allergies and, and asthma, and I'm on Twitter at the allergist and I'm on Instagram at Dr. Wright underscore allergist. 
and then I think that, you know, some people also like to follow me on LinkedIn. I, I post on all those platforms and, and you can find me at Dr. Lakia Wright Bellow. And so I like to do a lot of posts. So feel free to, you know, respond to my posts and then they will probably inspire future posts. And so thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you so much. This was great. So, you know, definitely, as you said, you can have allergy symptoms year round, even in the winter. And so try all of those wonderful preventive strategies that Dr. Wright just talked about to get them under control. But by all means, see your doctor if you're concerned or you're confused about what this really is, and they can take it from there. And even if you need to see an allergist, they can send you on to see the allergist, okay? Mm -hmm. So hopefully this was helpful. Thank you so much, Dr. Wright, for educating us today on allergic rhinitis and environmental allergies. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk soon. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Candice. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stop what you're doing and subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. And follow me on social media at Dr. Candice MD. For more information about me and for more kid health information, go to my website, drcandicemd.com. Thanks for listening.